Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We're going to head to our Bible reading now, so if you'd like to turn to um, Acts chapter 16, verse 6 to 34, and then John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. All right, so we'll start with Acts 16. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Messiah, they, Messiah, sorry, uh, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we, went, uh, we put out to sea and sailed straight um, for Samothrace, and next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. Of those listening was a woman from the city of um, Thyteria named Lydia, um, a dealer in the purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we met by a female slave who had put a spirit by which was predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in an inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushing in and, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. 
He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And the second passage from John verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 23 to 24. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. Thank you, Adam. How good was it to see the youth camp up on the screen? Uh, big thanks to Dave and the team that did a wonderful job with that, and it's exciting to see what it'll look like in the years to come as well. So, wonderful stuff. Today, we're starting a nine-week series on the values of Follow Baptist Church. Um, our original values were written prior to launching Follow, um, but about 12 months ago or so, the elders and deacons at the time sat down, prayed, and reconsidered some of those values, and together as a team, we rewrote them. And the end result is what you'll find on our website under the What We Believe tab. And the reason we went through that process last year is that we really wanted a leadership team who would own and live the values. And the aim for this series as a congregation of God's people is to study them together and then unpack them in our own personal devotional life and in our small groups so that they truly become part of our DNA. The first value we're looking at today is that we want to be a church that is spirit-led. We want to be a church that's spirit-led. And it's kind of ironic, isn't it, as a Baptist church, that the first one we're talking about is being a spirit-led church, because a lot of people in the church world don't equate the spirit moving with a Baptist church. Good thing we don't care about what other people think, we care about what God wants us to be. And so today we're talking about what it is to be a spirit-led church. I grew up in a pretty conservative Baptist church, and to be honest, talk of the Holy Spirit sometimes made me nervous. I think we were more Father, Son, Holy Scriptures than we were Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And there were times where I thought to myself, who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? And I think perhaps at times I was just too scared to ask. I used to think the Holy Spirit was all about charismatic worship or spiritual gifts or weird manifestations. And it was not something that I was comfortable with as a young Christian. In fact, I can remember the odd occasions when a charismatic person would walk into our Baptist church. And you'd be sitting there in worship or standing there in worship, and out of the corner of your eyes, you'd see it. They'd do this. (laughs) And you could hear what everybody was thinking. They were thinking, don't look to the left, don't look to the right, don't look to the front, don't look behind you. There is a crazy Holy Spirit person here. (laughs) And they would freak out that someone would lift their hands in worship. Now, the ironic thing is that I left the Baptist church, and I went to a Pentecostal church for a decade, and it was exactly the opposite. That if someone walked into the worship sanctuary, and they didn't lift their hands, everyone would be looking at them thinking, there's something wrong with that person. They need the Holy Spirit. It's a little bit sad, isn't it, that we've whittled the Holy Spirit down to external manifestations or charismatic actions Because I think that can be very unhelpful because God is so much more than that. The Spirit of God is so much more than that. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's existed eternally. Our God is one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. In the Genesis account, as God created, we see the Spirit hovering over the surface of the deep. In the Old Testament, we see the Spirit working all the way through in people's lives in miraculous ways and through the nation of Israel. In Jesus' life, we see the Holy Spirit descend on him at his baptism and fill him. We see um, in his earthly ministry the miracles he's performed, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And just as his earthly ministry came to an end, just before he ascended to heaven, he declared that we would not be left alone because he would send the Holy Spirit, the Father would send the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name and he would be our counsellor and he would guide us into all truth. Absolutely. It's worth getting excited about, Karen. It's great. 
Wayne has got some run for his money today. It's awesome. <laughs> when we receive Jesus as our Lord, we are filled with the Spirit of God. He is with us and he is in us. God cannot get any closer to us than living inside us. The Holy Spirit, therefore, is an absolutely essential, vibrant part of our faith. And you can't even be a Christian apart from the work of the Spirit in your life every day. Today in the passage from Acts 16, we're going to explore what it means to be Spirit-led individually and also as a church. And the first thing I wanted to say today is that Spirit-led people hear God's voice. And at each point, we're going to have a key word, and the key word under this point is intimacy. This week in the Bible in One Year app, I was reading Nicky Gumbel's devotional, and he was telling the story of a guy called Will Wisby. And I want to read the story to you this morning. He said, Will Wisby was a successful young real estate agent. He was fiercely sceptical of Christianity. But one Sunday, a friend, probably filled with the Holy Spirit, invited him to Holy Trinity Brompton. During that service, someone had a word of knowledge that went like this. There is a man here who is expecting a soft top sports car to be delivered in the next two days. He has worked all of his life so hard to achieve success. Work has been his life. He's got the car, he's got the house, he's got the lifestyle, and yet he's still not happy. And God wants him to know that there's something more important for him to focus on. Subsequently, Will wrote, I couldn't believe it. My new car was the nicest I'd ever bought. It was arriving in literally two days and I hadn't told anyone. I was earning £100,000 a year. My work was my life. And that night, for the first time in my life, I really prayed. Will encountered Jesus Christ and was filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, now I know Jesus does exist. He loves me and he is with me. Many of us live in a busy and noisy world, and in the midst of all that noise, talk and distractions, how do you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? It's a wonderful question to ask, and it's a good thing for us to consider as we explore what it is to be a spirit-led church, because I think sometimes we can hear stories like that, and we can sort of think, wow, that's amazing, where that man in church spoke that word that was so specific that God used it to change someone's life. And we think to ourselves, I wish that we could be led by the Spirit that clearly and could speak God's word so confidently. And I want to say this morning that I think the reality is that we can. So how do we recognize God's voice and truly become Spirit-led? Well, on our website, under the Spirit-led value, it says this. It says, we're not led by opinion or preference. We rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He points us to Jesus. He is with us and in us. He empowers us to live for God as people on mission. One thing I've learned over the last four years is that when you plant a church, you attract a lot of opinions. A lot of opinions on how you should do things, what you should believe, what activities you should do, what music you should sing, what volume it should be, what church you should be. And I said a number of months ago that opinions are a little bit like bottoms. They're very useful at times. And today, your bottom's very useful. You're sitting on the chair and it's making those plastic chairs bearable. But we also know that there are times where bottoms just stink. And opinions are like that. They can be at times very helpful, but at times they can just stink. And so we don't want to be a church that is ruled by opinion. We want to be a church that's led by the Holy Spirit. I've been in churches before that were ruled by influential people who had many different opinions about what they wanted. 
about what they liked and what they thought church should be, but at the same time, they weren't necessarily spiritual people who were spending time with God. And so it all became very rigid, very opinion-based and very predetermined with no flexibility or openness to what the Holy Spirit may have been saying or where he may have been leading. Francis Chan talks about this in his most recent book under the heading of being spirit-led. He says, My hope is that you will refuse to take the easy route. You need to care about his church enough to fast and pray. You must believe you play a necessary role in the church. Seek wisdom and direction from God. He has given you his spirit so you can know and follow his will. There's no substitution for undistracted prayer. Our country needs to encounter churches that cannot be explained by strategic planning. And I believe everything inside you wants the Holy Spirit to move through you and do more than you can currently imagine. And then he finishes by saying, start praying for this now. This is exactly what we want here at Follow. We want to look back in years to come and go, wow, that only could have happened because of the supernatural power of God. We want to be able to say that we've done immeasurably more than we could ever hope, dream or imagine according to his power at work within us. That's our prayer for this church. At Follow, we don't want to be ruled by opinion. We want to be led by the Holy Spirit. And so I hope and pray that we'll look back in years to come And there will be clearly times where the Holy Spirit has said no and he's closed the door. But there will be just as many, if not more times, where we stepped out by faith, led by the Spirit, into the opportunities that God has prepared for us as a church. And so how do we actually do that? Well, this is where we can learn a lesson from Paul in today's passage in Acts 16. Because as we read this passage, there's this incredible sequence where it appears that Paul is hearing directly and clearly from the Holy Spirit. We would look at Paul and we'd say, he's the kind of guy who's living a spirit-led life. So let's pick it up today in verse 6. It says, Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by Mysia and they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul was an obsessive evangelist. He just wanted to travel the world and tell everybody about Jesus. From the moment he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, his mission was to travel the world and tell everyone about him. He was a go-getter. He was a can-do person. He lived a life of extraordinary obedience and sacrifice. And so it makes sense that Paul wanted to go to Asia because he wanted to go everyone, but the Holy Spirit said no. It made sense that he wanted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow him. But eventually, through a vision, Paul senses the call of God to go to Macedonia. This is what we call spirit-led living. I think sometimes in our own lives, we struggle to know which direction to go and what God really wants us to do. And it's inspiring to see a man like Paul being so open to God that he was spirit-led in all he did. And so how can we be so confident that he was being spirit-led? Well, I think there's a hint in the passage, and we see it in verse 13. 
It says, on the Sabbath, he went outside the city gate to the river where he expected to find a place of prayer. It's a small hint, but it's a hint because here's Paul. He's in a foreign place, but even though he's away from the familiar, when it comes to the Sabbath day, he still sets it aside. And on the Sabbath, his most pressing concern is to find a place of prayer. Now, we know from Scripture from Paul's story recorded in Scripture, that he was a man dedicated to developing a genuine relationship with God. He spent time in God's presence. He loved the Scriptures. He had a regular practice of fasting. He made it his custom to gather in the synagogue for worship. And he regularly went to places of prayer. He's a man who was constantly investing in his relationship, proactively and deliberately building intimacy. And it's no surprise from that relationship that he learned to clearly hear God's voice. This morning, if I was to go home and take off my T-shirt and throw it to Kim and say, Kim, iron my shirt, I can tell you that I probably won't get the ironing, I'll probably get the iron. Because <laughs> I've come to know Kim, and I've come to know how I should treat her and talk to her. Um, and you'll be glad to know that's not the only communication we have. I don't even communicate like that with my wife, because I've grown in wisdom over the years. But it'd be fair to say that when we were first married, communication was not our strong point. A lot of people talk about the first year of marriage and they talk about the the honeymoon period and they talk about the early marriage bliss. Um, But year one for us, we could probably substitute those terms for the word nightmare or shambles or disaster or whatever other adjective you can come up with for the word awful. The first year was really, really difficult and a big part of that is that I was selfish. We were both young and immature and we didn't really understand each other very well. And so when our communication broke down, I'd get angry and sulk, and Kim would just get in the car and go to her parents' house. (laughs) So when we were first married in our relationship, there may have been that newly married physical intimacy, but there wasn't the deeper kind of intimacy that comes when you really know somebody. And I think that is why our relationship wasn't great. And I think sometimes when it comes to our relationship with God... We expect to hear God's voice. We want him to tell us where to go and what to do, and yet we never invest beyond the superficial when it comes to getting to know him. When Kim and I first got married in the early years, I thought I knew what Kim wanted. I thought I knew what she liked. I thought I knew what she didn't like, but I got it wrong on a regular basis because I didn't really know her. Next year, we're going to be married for 20 years. Thank you. And I'm pleased to say that our marriage is better than it's ever been before. We have an understanding of each other that's greater than we've ever known. And our love for each other grows deeper all the time. I think she has finally realised just how blessed she is. (laughs) But in all seriousness, I cannot recall the last time we had a fight. It was over a decade ago. I can't remember the last time we had significant tension in our home. In fact, our relationship has developed to the point where Kim doesn't even need to say the words. For me to know, just to look, she doesn't even need to say the words, for me to know many of the things she likes or doesn't like. And whenever she speaks, I recognise the tone and I understand very clearly what she's saying. And that's come only from years of investing in relationship. I want to say this morning, it's exactly the same with God. As we come to know God in deeper ways through investing time in relationship, we start to recognise his voice and what he's saying, and as a result, we start to live spirit-led lives. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. In John 10, it says the gatekeeper opens the gate for the shepherd and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. 
And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. If we truly want to be a spirit-led church, a spirit-led leadership team, a spirit-led congregation leading spirit-led lives, there's no shortcut to spirit-led living. It flows from intimacy. And so we need to be people who are intimate with God if we want to hear God's voice. God's voice. Second thing I want to say today is this, that spirit-led people are people who are in step with the spirit. And the key word in this particular one is obedience. As we saw before, Paul heard God's voice and was led by the Spirit on where he should and shouldn't go. But I think we all know it's one thing to believe we've heard God's voice and it's another thing entirely to obey it. We probably all think of times when we felt a prompting of the Holy Spirit but we didn't step out in obedience. Maybe we were too scared. Perhaps we were too selfish. Maybe we didn't know God well enough to be sure it was his voice. Maybe there was an opportunity to share our faith with someone at work or in our family. Maybe it was a time that we felt God prompting us to be generous or to care for someone and we missed the opportunity because we chose to follow our own desires instead. Paul in this passage wanted to go to Asia. The Spirit said no. Paul wanted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow him. But when the Spirit called him to Macedonia, his immediate response was obedience. It says they got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. People who are in step with the Spirit are people who learn to be obedient to his voice. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, so this is Paul again, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you cannot just do whatever you want. He goes on to say that the fruits of the the flesh are very obvious. The deeds of the flesh are things like idolatry and hatred and jealousy and selfish ambition and drunkenness and a whole bunch of stuff there. But then he also says that the fruits of spirit are also very obvious. They are love and joy and peace and Patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And if you are in step with the Spirit, one of the evidences of that is that these things will flow from your life on a regular basis. He finishes by saying, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we now live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's really important that we do that, that we learn to live in step with the Spirit. And I think it's fair to say that we all want to hear from God. But how do we know that we or others are truly keeping in step with the Spirit rather than just following their own desires? Because we've probably all heard people claim that they were being led by the Spirit, even if their words and actions would demonstrate something entirely different. It'd be easy for me to stand up here today and say, I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me to plant a church in Hawaii. Who's coming today? Probably half the church would come. Yes, Nathan's coming. He's going to do the videos for me. That's awesome. We're going to have a great team. We're going to Hawaii. It would be easy for me to say, yeah, I feel the Spirit's leading me to go to Hawaii. But if I felt the Spirit was saying to go to Syria, would I be as confident? Would I have as many volunteers? And I know that's an extreme example, but sometimes we can use uh, you know, being led by the Holy Spirit to just satisfy what we really want to do. God, if you are speaking this morning about Hawaii, here I am, send me. 
Um, but I haven't heard that call yet, so I'm here an officer for a while to come. But I remember years ago, I was counselling a lady at a previous church who was telling me that she felt the Spirit was leading her to divorce her husband. I suggested to her that that may not be the case. Nevertheless, a couple of months later, she was dating a guy from the gym who happened to be better looking and more buff than her husband. And it's fair to say that I don't believe it was the Spirit of God leading her to that course of action. And so how do we know that we're really in step with the Spirit? Well, one way is through Spirit-led intimacy that we've already spoken about, but the other way is through God's Word. And those two things will never, ever contradict each other. God will never ask you to do something that contradicts what he's shown you in his words. So in the case of that lady, we can open scripture and God's word tells us that he hates divorce. And so we can be confident that she was being led not by her spirit, but by her own flesh and desire, which was contrary to the spirit. When I was growing up, I used to hear people say things like, oh yeah, he's a great word man. Or, yeah, yeah, that, that person's a great spirit person. And I understand what they're trying to say. This person's got a love for God's word, and that's a wonderful thing. And this person's led by the spirit, and, and that's a wonderful thing. But if you're one of those things without the other, you're only half of what God wants you to be. Because if we're going to keep in step with the spirit, we need God's word, because God's word's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so we're going to keep stepping forward in the spirit. We need the word to light the the path and and lamp up for our feet so that we know where we're going. Word and spirit are so important together. A couple of years ago, we had a family decide to leave Follow and go to another church. And when they were asked why they were leaving, they said, because we know that you like the Bible, but we like the spirit. Now, the problem with a statement like that, of course, is that you can't divide the spirit and the truth and still be a true worshipper of God. Jesus says in John 4, A time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Notice in the Christian world that there seems to be two extremes and everything in between. But on one end, you've got the ultra-conservatives. And they love God's word, and that's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to love God's word. This is sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. It tells us all about Jesus, who he is, what pleases him, how we can be in relationship with him. It's a wonderful thing to love God's word. But for some people, at the end of the ultra-conservative end, it just seems to me it's more about being puffed up with head knowledge than it is about coming to know God in life-changing ways. If you try to love the Word without the work of the Spirit, you'll just become legalistic. A few years ago, I went through an assessment with a conservative church planning network, and one of the things I had written down as a person of personal value is that I wanted to be someone who was Spirit-led, and I thought that was a really positive thing. But for them, it was like a giant red flag, and they really grilled me on that statement. What do you mean, Luke, that you want to be Spirit-led? Are you one of those people that God speaks to? And I wanted to say, yes. I want to scream it from the rooftops. Of course he does. But for them, it almost seemed like a foreign concept. I think the Pharisees are a good example in Scripture of religious leaders who knew the Scriptures backwards. I mean, they knew the Old Testament Scriptures so well. And despite the fact they took pride in their knowledge of the Scriptures, they missed the Messiah that the Scriptures are all written about even when he was standing right in front of their face. In fact, they missed it so badly that they hung him on a cross. They'd become legalistic, self-righteous, hypocritical, puffed up people who wanted to know the truth, but they consistently resisted the Holy Spirit. 
And so for some people, it's, it's word, 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 but very little about the work of the Spirit. But on the other end, you've got the hyper-charismatics, where it's spirit, 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 but no truth. And faith is all about feelings and emotions and experiences. And they often get swept up in every wind of strange doctrine, and they end up looking and sounding and believing more like the world around them than a follower of Jesus, who says, I am the truth. My past charismatic experiences, I found myself in some so-called revival meetings where there were some really strange things happening that, if I'm honest, I felt uncomfortable with at different stages. People were shaking and falling over and making animal noises and all sorts of stuff. And and I don't want to limit how God works because God works in mysterious ways. But what troubled me the most is not so much what I saw but what I didn't see. Because what I noticed over years of that is that some of the very same people with the most demonstrative experiences also happened to be the most unchristlike when it came to character. If you have an encounter with God and nothing changes, you'd have to question whether it was a genuine encounter with God in the first place. When the Apostle Paul met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, he was struck blind and he hit the ground. And by the time he was filled with the Holy Spirit and got up off the ground, he was a transformed man. He didn't hit the ground and then get up and go, gee, that was weird, that felt really cool, now let me go kill some Christians. No, no, he didn't do that. He was a completely different person because he had a genuine encounter with God and he came to face to face with Jesus, the Word of God and the source of all truth. When we claim to be led by the Spirit but we neglect the truth, it leads us to all sorts of strange places. In today's passage, we see a slave girl that could fit into this category. She was seen by people in her culture as someone spiritual. She had a gift that she could predict the future. And people would say, yeah, she's being led by the Spirit to predict what the future is. And so there are these people that took her as a slave and they made a whole bunch of money off this person and this gift that she had. And we read in the passage today that she followed Paul and Silas for days as they were sharing the gospel. And she was yelling out things the whole time that sounded good. They even sounded spiritual. She was yelling out, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Tick, tick. And see, she kept this up for many days, but finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Here's a woman who was saying things that sound good and she was doing things that appeared spiritual, but I want to encourage you today, don't be fooled by words or appearances because they weren't of God. It wasn't the Holy Spirit, it was some other spirit and she was living a life that was devoid of truth. And so we don't want to be at the ultra-conservative end where we're stuffy and legalistic and we don't want to be at the ultra-hyper-charismatic end where we're flaky and dangerous. Jesus wants us to be right in the middle because true worship is worship in spirit and in truth. And when our spirit-led living is grounded in God's word as a safeguard, we can have confidence that we will hear his voice. That's why you'll never, ever attend a leadership meeting at Follow Baptist Church where we don't open the word. You'll never ever attend a leadership meeting at Follow Baptist Church where we don't pray. Because we don't want to be people that are led by opinion. We want to be led by the Spirit. We want to be people who are word people as well. Worship is worship in spirit and in truth. Finally this morning I want to say that Spirit-led people are Jesus people. We often think of spiritual people as people who use big spiritual words. And they can pray big, long, fluent prayers. But I think the greatest indication of a spirit-led life is someone who has a genuine dedication and focus on Christ. A spirit-led person will always have Jesus at the centre of who they are and all they do. And so the key word in this particular one is worship. 
As Christians, we get focused on all sorts of things. We can focus on miracles and healings. We can focus on spiritual gifts or church planting or leadership or social justice. And all those things are good. But if any of those things take the place of Jesus as our number one focus, then we're no longer being spirit-led. Because the Holy Spirit always points us back to Christ. Our vision at Follow Baptist Church, if you've been here for more than five minutes, you will know that our vision is, it's the best vision you can ever have, right? It's an amazing vision. You can't get a better vision. It's one word, but our vision is all about Jesus. And our mission is to follow Jesus in our community for his glory. So we want to be a people that are Jesus people, a people that are focused on Christ in all that we do. And as you look around today, you'll see his name everywhere. And you'll experience him in the people that are in the seats this morning. As you look around, you'll see it. Jesus, 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 Jesus. He's everywhere. We're surrounded by Jesus. Now, we will know that these, these banners aren't actually designed to go here. I'll tell you why they're there. Because you need to pee during the sermon, right? The stage used to be over there, so we had no banners. But when the stage moved over here, we got sick of people doing this as I was trying to preach. And so we put the banners up, right? But they're designed to go into our community in pairs. And so one of them tells the community who we are. We follow Baptist Church. Where do they find us? At that website. And then right next to it, who are we? What are we all about? Our vision's Jesus. Our mission's to follow Jesus in our community for his glory. Today, if you're here for the first time, you might think these people sound a bit obsessed about Jesus. They're a bit focused on this person, Jesus. And I want to tell you, if that's what you're thinking this morning, you are 100% right. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. There is no name under heaven by which man can be saved except the name of Jesus. He's our only chance for forgiveness. He's our only light for the future. He's our only hope of eternity. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the name above every other name. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is the Good Shepherd. He is our Saviour. He is our King. We're absolutely unashamed of Him. We want Him to be the first name on our lips in the morning. We want Him to be the last thought in our minds when we, our head, head hits the pillow at night. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as Lord, we're unashamed to say we want you to because we want you to experience the light and life that we have in him. If you're here and you're already a Christian, the greatest prayer of our heart is that you will go deeper in your relationship with Jesus, that he would become your number one joy. He would become your greatest treasure. That If you were to lose everything else in life, he would be the one thing, the one person that you would cling to. We exist as a church to lift Jesus' name high over the officer region and beyond. And we're determined to do that as spirit-led people for many years to come. We're focused on Jesus. He's the centre of who we are and all we do. Why? Because we're spirit-led. He is in us and with us and he is constantly pointing us back to Jesus. John 14, it says, All this I've spoken while I was with you. This is Jesus' words. He says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit helps us to constantly be Jesus' people. He points us back to who Jesus is and all he has taught. Paul was a Jesus person. From the moment he met Christ on the Damascus Road, he was changed from a Jesus hater to a Jesus person. His life was no longer spent persecuting Jesus, but instead being led by the Spirit to proclaim Jesus as Lord. And two-thirds of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. And as you read his story, you can't help but be captivated and inspired by his life's dedication and focus on Jesus. And I think today's passage was a great example. In verse 10, He goes to preach the gospel after seeing a vision 
the good news of Jesus in a place called Macedonia. On the way, in verse 14, he meets a group of women. One of them is an influential lady called Lydia. And he stands there and he talks to them and he just can't help himself. He's spirit-led, so he can't help just talking about Jesus everywhere he goes. And so he shares the good news of the gospel. And it says, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to Jesus and she became a believer. Paul got up and he continued on his way, led by the Spirit. And guess where the Spirit led him to? Straight into prison. And it's exactly where he's supposed to be. Spirit-led living doesn't mean it will always be easy living. In fact, my experience is that most of the time it isn't. It's heartbreaking. It's uncomfortable. It's challenging. At the same time, there's nothing more exciting to do with your life. In verse 16 to 40, here we are, Paul. He's in prison. He's in chains. And he's in the center of God's will. And we read the story of Paul and Silas being thrown into that prison for their faith in stocks at midnight. They worship God. God sends an earthquake and all the prisoners break free from their chains and they're free to escape. And in the midst of this broken down, busted up prison, the jailer starts to panic because he knows in the Roman world, if you let a prisoner go, you're a dead man. And so he's about to kill himself. But Paul and Silas, even though they're free to go, they yell out and they say, don't worry, we haven't left. And what do they see it as? an opportunity to share the gospel. And so this man ends up looking at them praising at midnight in stocks and they, he asks the logical question, Sirs, tell me what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas share the gospel. They become Christians and their whole family is baptised there that day. See, Paul couldn't help talking about Jesus because he was spirit-led. Spirit-led people are Jesus' people. And in Jesus' last words on earth, before his ascension, he said to the early disciples, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water. But in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Why? So you can be my witnesses. Spirit-led people are Jesus' people, being his witnesses everywhere they go. He said, In Jerusalem and in all Judea, And in Samaria, it's moving further and further out. And then he says, and to the ends of the earth. And this morning, I want to say congratulations. You've made it. It's called officer. And Jesus is here thousands of years later. Why? Because spirit-led people carried the gospel to Australia. And if you are a Christian here today, you're a beneficiary of spirit-led people that have carried that message. And you now have a responsibility to carry it to people who don't yet know him. What a mission that is the greatest news you can ever hear, and we get to carry it to a world that is broken and desperately needs a saviour. This week, opportunities will come, and the question is, will we take them? Dean Potter this week, most of you would know Dean, popped into my house one night, I had something to give him. And if you know Dean, he's a passionate evangelist. He's like Paul, he just can't help himself. He's just got to talk about Jesus everywhere he goes. And he was telling me last week he was at the gym. There was a lady there that he's seen um, a few times and had a chat to there. And as he was leaving, she made a comment, I bet you're going home to have a, a big weekend on the booze. Now, it'd be easy for someone like Dean to go, nah, just a quiet weekend this weekend. Nah, not this weekend. Or just laugh. But Dean's not like that. Dean saw that as an opportunity to create an opportunity to share his faith. He said, no, not me. I'm one of those born-again Christians. This weekend, I'll be going to church. Now, sometimes that shuts down a conversation pretty quickly. But in this instance, led by the Spirit, Dean found himself having a conversation about faith simply because he wasn't ashamed of Jesus. It's inspiring to see how people like Dean create opportunities to share their faith. And I want to say this morning, in conclusion, we're not going to impact this community the way God wants us to if all we do is rely on one preacher, one service, one message, 
or we just wait for people to walk in those doors? Because I don't know if you've noticed that people aren't walking into doors at church anymore. The mission we have is so much greater than just waiting around for something to happen. This community, I believe, can be transformed. I believe that's why God's put us here. But it'll only be transformed as spirit-led Jesus people who hold sharing the gospel as one of their key values in life, share the gospel with boldness and wisdom and conviction into every sphere of influence that God will send you in your life. When's the last time you led someone to Jesus? When's the last time you spoke to a pre-Christian friend about Jesus or invited them to church? When's the last time you had a conversation that could have ended up talking about Jesus? When's the last time you thought about having a conversation that could have ended up talking about Jesus? When's the last time you thought about Jesus when you weren't at church or singing a worship song? One of the greatest indicators of a spirit-led life is a person who is constantly focused on Jesus. Spirit-led people are Jesus people. As we are led... Today we're talking about values, and we value being spirit-led as a church. As we are spirit-led people, intimate with God, grounded in his word and focused on Jesus, I believe that we'll see him move in powerful ways in our midst now and into the future. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you just come today and speak to our hearts? We thank you that your role is to remind us of who we are in Christ that he would be lifted up, that he would be glorified in who we are and in all that we do. And so today, Lord, we recommit to this value that we want to be a group of people who are spirit-led. Lord, I pray that you would help us to make wise decisions, that our hearts would be open, that there would be intimacy in our relationship with you so that we would come to recognise, understand and obey your voice. This week, Lord, as we leave this place, We ask that you'd fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. That this week when opportunities come, we would take those opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. And even if they don't come, Lord, I pray that you would lead us to create opportunities. It may be as simple as someone saying, what did you do on the weekend? Instead of saying, I went to the footy or I hung out with some friends, we can simply say, hey, I went to church to worship. It might be more direct than that, but Lord, I pray that you give us boldness and wisdom. Not to be apathetic, not to take the incredible salvation we have for granted but to see it as the greatest gift we could ever have and the greatest gift we could ever share. Lord, we know sometimes we don't know the words to say. And so I pray that we would build intimacy with you, that we would know your word, that we would be grounded in it. Because I love when you sent the 72 out in the New Testament and you said to them, you're going to be dragged before the magistrates. You're going to be thrown in prison. You're going to go before the religious leaders. But don't worry about the words to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Lord, help us to put them in first so that you can bring them out when we need them. Lord, I pray for every person here that they would go deeper in their relationship with you, that they would be guided and led by the Spirit, that we would look back and say that we have done immeasurably more than we could ever hope, dream or imagine according to your power at work within us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info@follow.church, and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.